you know, we're talking about a section here as Paul has given his example of work. He has already given a commandment to the Thessalonians to avoid men that are not working. And then now he's going to give us a, a really uh, thorough understanding of what it means to have a biblical work ethic. Uh, and so for some, you may be saying, I'm not in the workplace, right? I don't work right now. Um, and what I think you'll find as we go through this is there is a lot of uh, application for how we approach all of life, whether that's serving in the church, whether that's working in, in our families and supporting and encouraging our families. Uh, in whatever we do, we can apply many of these principles to that. And so I hope that it'll be helpful for you. I know it's been a, a very good help and reminder for me as I've studied. Um, and as we open, I, I want to talk about something that, again, may not apply to a lot of you, but it does impact you whether you realize it or not. Uh, and that's uh, theft in the workplace. <laughs> uh, it's uh, estimated, and this is old, the numbers keep going up and up and up, but it's estimated at, at, at the time of this writing, this article, that 43% of retail shrinkage, that means loss, theft from a retail store, actually comes from employee theft. Others say it's higher than 50%, and one source says 70% of all retail losses are due to employees. Sounds like Bonnie and Clyde were in the wrong business. They should have worked in the banks and not robbed them. It's much more profitable to steal from the inside. Employee theft costs businesses an estimated $50 billion a year and is rising at a percentage of 15% per year, according to the U.S. Commerce Department. It's significantly higher than the $30 billion attributed to shoplifting. The effect on our economy is substantial, but the effect on individual businesses is devastating. The Commerce Department and the American Management Association say that 30% of new business failures are due to employee theft. Now, obviously, that should not be a Christian's approach. Is okay, I will steal from uh, the, uh, the boss that I have. Uh, it was interesting, I read a, another set of statistics that talked about time theft and how much time is lost productivity-wise from employees taking care of personal business on company hours, clocking in and out incorrectly, getting someone else to clock in for them when they're not even on the, the, the clock or not even on the premises. Uh, there's lots of ways that the world has found to avoid work and to take advantage of their employers. But that is not what the Bible would call us as believers to do. Uh, and as we, again, as we've walked through this, this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we've, we've seen Paul's command to the Thessalonians. We, we've see, we saw last week Paul's example to the Thessalonians. And now we come to Paul's correction of the lazy uh, non-workers, I should say, and gives us six biblical principles are six principles for a biblical work ethic. So let's read the passage together just so you kind of know what we're going through, and then we're going to walk through these principles that Paul outlines here. In verse 10 of chapter, or chapter 3, it says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, 
then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some of you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. So we have Paul breaking down what does it mean to work as unto the Lord. And really understanding that should change how we approach work. Uh, The first principle I want to talk about is not exactly uh, in the passage, but it is something we need to discuss, which is that her hard work is an an intended reality for all mankind. And that word intended means God intended it. God planned it that way. It wasn't something that happened as a result of the fall, but was actually part of it. Uh, And one note I want to make before we dig too deeply into this passage, it does say here, the, the phrase is, if anyone's not willing to work. It does not say not able to work. Obviously, there are times in life, um, whether that's due to having babies, whether that's due to having illnesses or you know, disease or whatever, or old age or retirement, that kind of thing. You're, you're not always, it's not God saying you have to work till the day you die. That is not the Im- Im- implication here. But it's those that are unwilling. The, the word there means to wish or to want or to desire. In other words, I don't want to work. And so some of these people in Thessalonica were saying, I don't want to work, and they weren't, right? They were, as we'll see, starting to allow others to take care of them and provide meals for them and take care of their needs so that they could not work. That is not what the Bible wants. Um, And so as we look at that, understand we're not calling out anybody that's not able to work or not in a, a stage of life where you are in a nine to five job you know monday through friday that's not what we're talking about but we do want to again look at what the bible says here clearly so if we go all the way back to genesis okay i know milt likes this because he loves to be able to get back into genesis and say hey look how foundational that book is right here's what we say in in genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 30 it says uh, then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So we see right away, I mean, as God is creating man, he is saying, Your role is to subdue, right? Is to be over you're you're to be working in this world and this is obviously pre-fall in genesis chapter 2 verse 15 after it kind of breaks down the 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 creation of of adam and eve it, it says then the lord god took the man and put him into the garden of eden 
to cultivate it and keep it. Again, those are words for work, right? That was what God had designed Adam and all of mankind to do. And it changed a little bit after the fall. When we get into Genesis 3, we see the fall and the the, the consequences of that in verse 19 of chapter 3 is by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Right now, work is going to be much harder. It's going to be much more difficult till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you were dust and to dust you will return right there's there's this idea that now it's going to be harder work may not be as much of a delight as it might have been pre-fall but the reality is work continues on and really what's interesting as i was studying through this is the the reality is that this is not just god's plan for mankind it's that god himself was the first worker in Genesis chapter 2, it says, on, on the, uh, chapter, in verses 2 and 3, by the seventh day, God completed His work, which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work, which He had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, He rested from all His work, which God had created and made. I mean, God was showing from the very beginning that work is what happens, right? He created this world to be a world in which work gets done. So the first principle for a biblical work ethic is that work is intended by God. It's an intended reality for all of mankind. Uh, As we saw in the passages above, Genesis says that work leads to food, right? (laughs) You, You take care of these things and you get food. It's what god designed as we look at the second principle it it gives us the reality that beyond just food that there's secondly a great blessing in hard work there's great blessing in hard work and, and and again when when paul is talking what's interesting is he says we were with you we used to give you this order and then he quotes this thing it's like the a saying you know it's almost like you could see it, you know, not that they decorated their houses the same way we do nowadays, but you could almost see it right above Paul's mantle, right? If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, like he said it over and over again that the indication is, is that was something that was said repeatedly and he was helping them understand that, the, that work is a good thing, right? That it is, it is a good thing to work. And really all of the scriptures teach us that in psalm 128 verse 2 it says when you shall eat of the fruit of your hands you will be happy and it will be well with you in proverbs 10 verse 4 it says poor is he who works with a negligent hand but the hand of the diligent makes rich Again, this is not a promise that if you work hard, you're going to have lots and lots of money. But the, the contrast of if you are not diligent, you will not have what you need. If you are diligent, you will have an abundance of the things you need. And I love Ecclesiastes. Really, the whole book is basically a, a, a look at what is it like to live and work in a fallen world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, in the, the NASB, which I'm assuming most of you are probably reading, this is what it says. I have seen that nothing is better 
than man, that that man should be happy in his activities, for this is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? And I feel like it, this time it doesn't quite explain what he's talking about. In Ecclesiastes 3.22, in the ESV, it says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. It, God has given you work. That is the reality. And who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, we don't always know what the results are going to be. But we know that God has given us work to do. So we see that, that God intended, it's an intended reality for all of mankind to work. We've seen that there is great blessing in hard work. Now we get to something that's dealing directly with the problems they were facing in Thessalonica. And that is that undisciplined, an undisciplined work ethic or undisciplined work leads to ruin. Undisciplined work leads to ruin. Now we talked about this uh, both in 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians that Paul set an example of hard work. We discussed that even last week. That he wanted to follow the example of God by doing things well, right? That, that when God finished creating, what did, what did it say? God finished all of His work in six days and it was, it was good, right? He did His work and it was good. And Paul believed that was his desire, right? Is I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my work and I'm going to do the best I can to make it good. We discussed that wasn't just his physical work he worked as a tent maker and he made a living by actual work but also his spiritual work his ministry that he worked hard at that so that he would be able to to look at what god had done and say god would say this is good in verse six we've already seen that that paul commanded the the majority of the thessalonian church Right, the ones that were doing the right thing that had been listening to Paul's example and his exhortation. He says, you need to keep away from those unruly brothers. Right? And we talked about unruly as that idea of out of line in a military uh, alignment. Um, you know, it made me think as I, we keep going back to this word, this unruly word keeps popping up. And it, keeps, it makes me think, when I was in high school, I went to a new school out in East Texas, and they marched military marching. I don't know if you've ever seen military marching, but when you march military marching, it's just lines, you know, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, but it's all straight lines the whole time. Okay, I used to march different stuff, and it was kind of boring in some ways, but boy, you could really tell who was uh, in step and who was in line and who wasn't because it's straight lines, right? If you've got one person that's a half a yard off one way or the other, it's really, really obvious. And so Paul is saying, you know, that, that unruly brother, that one that's out of step, that's out of line, that you, the majority of you believers, need to avoid that. We, we saw that. But here he's talking specifically that not only are they leading an undisciplined life, which again is very similar to unruly life, they're doing no real work at all, it says, but they are acting like busybodies. 
So they're, they're not just not working, they're actually doing things they should not be doing. Uh, the, the Greek word for busybodies is really only found in two places in, in Scripture. Uh, and the other one doesn't apply to everybody, but it does give us a little bit more context of maybe what Paul was thinking. So turn with me to 1 Timothy, just because it's right there close by. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's talking to... Oh, yeah, 5, not 6. He's talking to the church, and in verse 11, he starts talking about younger widows, right? So this would be someone that through an accident, through uh, you know, a death, or for some reason, a younger woman, probably still with children in her house, is now a widow, right? Sad situation, but what Paul is saying is they don't need to go on the list of being supported by the church because there's some problems that could arise from that. And so it says, verse 11... It says, but refuse younger little, to put younger little widows on the list uh, and that they might have a desire to have another relationship. And so if we put them on the list and now the church is taking care of them, we're not taking care of that the right thing. But it says the, the, the big problem here at verse 13 is at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and that's bad enough. I mean, Paul's going to say, okay, that's bad enough that they're just not doing anything and they're just visiting the neighbors. But they're not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies. That same word that Paul uses in Thessalonians. Talking about things not proper to mention. And I think we all probably know someone like this, right? That, that spends their time because they don't have a job they don't have things to do, right? Maybe they're, they're retired or maybe they've just always been this way. But they spend a lot of time walking around, talking about this and that and the other, whether it's the neighbors, whether it's the, the news, whether it's the church, whatever's going on. They're just going to be talking around or walking around, speaking on things that they shouldn't, right? Talking about gossip or rumors. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Uh, the, the, one of the, the commentators said that, that the intent of Paul is one of his frequent wordplays. He says literally the, the term is not busy, but busy bodies. So they're not busy working on the things they're supposed to, but they're busy. They're, they're busy in other ways, right? They're busy rotating around. Paul, uh, or Peter, I'm sorry, brings up a similar idea in his inclusion as a, a list of things that believers should never be found accused of. And, and again, I love this juxtaposition where we think, okay, Paul or Peter, I understand what you're saying on these first few, but boy, this last one seems like a little overstep. Right? First Peter 4.15, it says, make sure that none of you suffers. So he's saying, you know, if you're going to suffer in this world, don't suffer for doing the wrong things. And he says, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And you're like, okay, yeah, totally. We shouldn't be doing that. That's... Or, Peter says, a troublesome meddler. Right? That, that, that person that, that looks into other people's business instead of their own. Right? That, that's got more wisdom when it comes to how other people should live their lives than maybe what they're applying to their own life. 
that, that these are the, the people we want to avoid per Paul's instruction in verse 6, but we certainly, certainly do not want to be found to be that kind of person. Right? So this touches on, in my mind, and again, this is where I look at it and say, there's an application beyond those that are working actively in a job right now, is are you being a busybody? Are you tempted to, to whisper, hey, did you hear about what happened? How did you, did you see that? Oh, I wonder what's going on there. Let's talk about, you know, like, there, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to do that. Even, I work for the church, right? And there's times, even like workplace gossip comes up, what's going on with that? Well, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, I just try to pull away, right? For the most part, compared to a lot of places, very good. But it still happens, right? We're still people. We, wa- we want to talk about things. But Paul says that there are not, that is not how we're to be, right? That that is a, the definition of an undisciplined life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Yeah, that I mean, again, yeah, we bring up a prayer request and it's really a way to share a tid, you know, juicy bit of uh, gossip that, that you want, right? And you hear about those things. And again, if there's situations, should we pray? Yes. It's how we pray, how we share those requests and that kind of thing. Um, if we're doing it to point and laugh or, you know, point and highlight what someone else is doing, we're in the wrong there. Um, and that really when we are not diligently working on the things we're called to do, then we're going we're gonna to lead an unruly life. And really, that's where I, I put in there um, multiple Proverbs. I mean, I'm going to read a few, but you know, Proverbs is a great book. If you're ever just needing something, a little reminder for yourself, maybe you're struggling with, or your kids or grandkids, if they're struggling with things, uh, we've used several of these to help remind our children <laughs> of the importance of hard work uh, because it is, it is so good. So I'll just read through a few of these and then we'll turn together uh, to one. So Proverbs 12:11 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Okay. Verse, uh, Proverbs 13, verse 4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Well, that one, I, I just want to step away for a minute. That one sticks to me when I'm c- concerned about or struggling in my own walk with the Lord. Is, am I diligent in my spiritual pursuits? If I am, then God's going to grow me. If I'm feeling like, I, wanna, I just want God to give me something, right? Help me overcome this, this struggle. Give me peace right now, God. Then I might crave, but if I'm not doing those things, those spiritual disciplines that God has called me to do, if I'm not seeking Him with all of my might, I get nothing. And so does everyone else. Proverbs 19, verse 15 says, Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger 
Proverbs 21, verse 25 says, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. Again, if you're not willing to work, you can expect a life of ruin. And that's what the Bible is teaching. But I love this picture uh, in Proverbs chapter 24. So go ahead and turn there if you got your, your Bible with you. Proverbs spends so much time doing these kind of short, sweet, little quick zingers, but occasionally it'll, it'll slow down and give you kind of a meditation on something that, that really makes you think. <coughs> In verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 30, it says, I passed by the field of the, of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, which in Hebrew poetry means that he was also a sluggard. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, and its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked, and I received instruction. And I love that, that... that as we go through the world around us and we see things, instead of looking and saying, look at that, how bad that is, receive instruction. Boy, what can I learn from this? How can I avoid this? What can I do to, to make sure I don't fall into this pattern? In verse 33, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come upon you or come on as a robber and your want like an armed man. And I just love that picture, right? A little this, a little rest, a little break, a little time off, a little relaxation, right? And I'm, my wife's like, uh-huh, you need to remember that verse a little bit more on Saturdays, okay? But it's, it's true. It's so easy to think I'm just going to take a little break. I'm just going to take a little time for myself. I'm just going to, you know, stop for a little bit. And we need to do that. It's not saying, again, we're not saying work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the sluggard, that little, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, right? They, they, they tend to spend more time, and then pretty soon their field is a ruin and their life is a ruin. So we see that, that hard work is an intended reality for all mankind. We shouldn't avoid hard work. We shouldn't think, oh, man, this is so bad. This is what happens when we sin. No, this is how God designed it. We see that there's great blessing in hard work, that God has promised to bless those that work hard, and that an undisciplined work or lack of hard work leads to ruin. It's the fourth, fourth principle is that it glorifies the Lord that you work hard. It glorifies the Lord that you work hard. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I like that. All would include work. Would include the things you do with your time. In Colossians, again, we'll be in Colossians starting here in a couple of weeks. But we'll be, we'll be in Colossians 3 for quite a while, so I don't think I'm going to steal anybody's thunder at this point. But Colossians 3 has, has a great picture of what it means to be diligent in practical areas of life. So in Colossians chapter 3, 
Verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And then he talks about family situations, right? Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Right? And there's a lot there. I'm skipping through because that's not our topic. But in verse 22, slaves or workers, employees, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth and not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And boy, it's, it's hard. I've, I've worked for bosses that were not godly men, that were not in, in enjoyment to be around. I mean, there's, there's unbelievers that can still be good bosses, right? I've worked for some that are not. Well, that's hard. But what a reminder. Again, what we're doing is not just to please my boss. We want our boss to be pleased with our work, but ultimately that we are glorifying the Lord, that we bring, bring Him glory and honor by the way we work. In 1 Timothy 6.1, it says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Think about that. How we work, how we respond to those we're under authority uh, to can either bring glory to God's name or it can bring shame to God's name, right? It can either help others say, you know what, I, I can't challenge this guy. I can't speak against him. You know, the, the idea of, of the leaders of the church being above reproach, that, that no one could come to you and say, oh, I've seen how lazy you are at work. I've seen how much you gossip. I've seen how much you, you uh, talk bad about the boss. No, that, that your work gives the, the doctrine that you profess as a Christian no, no handhold for someone else to grab on and say, yeah, but what about that? What about that person? Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, like our example in the, <laughs> at the beginning of the lesson, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? Why should they do that? So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. When we work hard, it brings glory to God. Especially when we connect that with witnessing and sharing the gospel. You know, it's a huge disconnect if you're not a great worker, but you're talking about the Lord. Right? That's not what you want. You don't want people to think that that's what following the Lord is is someone who doesn't work hard or doesn't work diligently. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that being the right boss is important as well. <coughs> In fact, the Lord Himself gives us a, a parable about work and about diligence when we look at the parable of the talents. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's really long. But you remember the, 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 the gist of it, right? That, that the master goes away on a journey and he gives money, talents to each of his uh, slaves or to three of his slaves. 
And when he comes back, he says, okay, what did you do? How did you accomplish whatever I, I set out for you? And one got five talents, and he worked really hard, and he got five more. So he doubled his, his investment. One got three, and he got three more. And one got one, and he said, well, I knew. You're kind of scary. You know, I don't know. I, I got scared, so I just put it in a, under the mattress, right? I dug a hole, and I buried it, and I just hid it away. And Jesus said, what a lazy person you are. You've done nothing with this. You know, you could have at least invested it in a bank or loaned it to somebody and gotten money back with interest, right? The idea is that we have been given abilities to work. We've been given a command to work, but, but we need to work. We need to accomplish something. That we're, yeah, we're, we're reflecting who our Lord is. Our Lord is a worker, right, from the very beginning all the way through. Uh, one of the commentators said, uh, or wrote a book called Work and, and Our Labor in the Lord. It's a good little book. If you're interested in this topic, I would recommend it for you. But it says, in the parable of the talents, Matthew presents Jesus commending initiative, diligence, and even savvy attempts to earn interest on one's money. He likewise discourages a slothful, fearful failure to be fruitful. He likes F's on that. I couldn't say it real well, right? But it it shows this connection, right, between a follower of Jesus being someone who works hard and diligently, creatively, right, doing, doing it well and doing it to the best of their ability versus someone who just lays back and kind of doesn't do anything. Yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that you know, if if someone was like, "Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian." <laughs> Ooh, you know, <laughs> we have a problem, right? You know, again, not that we need to like wear Christian T-shirts and you know quote Bible verses to every person every time we see them, but if we're around people regularly and they have no idea that we're a believer until we finally say, okay, I want to share the gospel with you or I want to ask some questions, well, that should be a concern, right? That that's not a part of our life, and it should be. Um, so, you know, as we go through this... Again, our lives should glorify the Lord, and work is a part of our life. So it should bring glory to the Lord, how we work. Finally, or or not finally, but the fifth principle is that that your work should be a blessing to others. Right? We're not just working so we can have more. 
We're not, so we can make sure we have plenty in the savings account or the biggest house we can possibly afford or, or anything like that, that, that we really should be a blessing to others. And this goes back to Paul's example just in the section we did last week where Paul says that we did not eat anyone's bread in chapter 3, verse 8. We didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day. Why? So we would not be a burden to any of you. Right? We wanted you to take care of yourself and have the things you need, and we're not going to be a burden to you. Not because we didn't have the right to do this, but in order to make it, offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. <coughs> Paul talks about this uh, as well in Ephesians chapter 4 in, in a great passage that talks about the reality that how the Lord changes our lives. And it's not so much, okay, just stop this, but it's start doing that. And so in, in Ephesians 4, it says, He who steals must steal no longer. Right? Don't, don't be a thief, but instead he must perform labor, performing with his own hands what is good. And the reason Paul gives in that section is not just so he has what he needs, but so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Right? So again, our, our work is not about, I just work really hard so I can live the American dream. Right? I get all the things I want, I get that new car, I get that new house, I get that vacation I want which none of those things are bad, but if that's all we're thinking about, if that's the, the motivation to work hard, we're missing it, right? Obviously, we, we're probably not thinking about the Lord. <laughs> we're not thinking about glorifying Him, but we're also not thinking about others and not how can I be a blessing to others. The commentator F.F. F. Bruce says, if a, if a thief is to give up stealing, it follows he must earn an honest living. But he should do more than that, Paul says. He should work so as to earn more than he needs for the maintenance of himself and his family, and then he will have a surplus to give to someone else, perhaps someone who's unable through old age or infirmity to work for himself. Such giving is the opposite pole from stealing. Conduct like this is a sure proof of a changed heart. Paul himself gave a fine example in this regard when he maintained both himself and his companions by the works of his hands rather than to live at the expense of his converts which again we just discussed last week but you know this is where you can show a changed heart a changed life that that i'm not living just for myself i'm living to be a blessing to others i'm working to be a blessing to others and then finally in this long string of, of, of imperatives, Paul circles back to the faithful Thessalonians and encourages them. So he's addressed, not maybe directly, but he's definitely talking about those that are unruly, right? Such persons, Paul says, verse 12, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat your own bread. Right? You need to stop being lazy, stop being undisciplined, not stop being busybodies. Now, in verse 13, Paul reminds all of them, the Thessalonians that have been obeying Paul, that have been working hard, he says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary 
of doing good. And again, I think we've probably all been there. If you're someone who works hard at what you do, you're going to find that many of the people you work around don't work as hard as you do. Right? They're the ones that will try to coast if the boss is not around. They're the ones that, that will make sure to make a point to the boss about anything they did well so that they can get accolades. And maybe you've been doing that all along. You just don't, you know, quote unquote, kiss up to the boss. Right? Maybe you don't get the promotion because someone else is louder about doing their job and you're just doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. Right? Maybe your job makes it a struggle to support your family. Maybe even struggle to share with others. But Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't, don't get discouraged, even when it's difficult, even when the world around you is, is acting differently than you are. Don't grow weary. Keep going. Keep pursuing. Keep working hard. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And, and Paul says, believers, my brethren, just keep going. Just keep working. Don't get weary of doing the right thing. Don't, don't lose my, sight of the fact that we're doing this work to the Lord, that this is God's work but that we need to keep doing it over and over again. Right? These six principles are a good reminder, I hope, for all of you. It was good for me just to study through and remind myself what God expects of me in, I, in my work. In conclusion, I just want to share uh, and encourage us all to heed the word that Paul gave this same church in his first letter. So back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what Paul said. He says, verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. That we would do that. Lord, help us to lead a quiet life and attend to our own business and work with our hands. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You chose to give us Your mind, Your, your thoughts, what You wanted us to know. Lord, that You've given us Scriptures that gives us instruction for all aspects of our life. And Lord, as we look, look today at, at what it means to have a biblical work ethic, what it means to work as unto You, Lord, I pray that You would help us to apply this to our lives. Lord, we know that not all have a, an official job where we clock in and out. Not all are in that position, but Lord, we have work that You have called us to do. And Lord, we know that You do not want us to be busybodies. You do not want us to be idle. Lord, you do not want us to bring our lives to ruin because of our own laziness, but that you have called us to work, to, to diligently accomplish whatever task you give us, 
in a way that glorifies you, that, that proclaims the truth of the gospel to others, and Lord, that takes care of our, our needs and our family's needs and provides for the needs of others. Lord, help us to, to pursue this mindset even tomorrow as we wake up and go about whatever work you have for us in the new day. We thank you again for this word. In Jesus' name, amen.